Days before the night of the Grizzlies, Dave Shea, a park biologist and ranger, had stopped by the Granite Park chalets to check in with the staff. He had seen some of the flyers they'd put up encouraging people to come and stay the night to view the grizzly bears feeding in the garbage dump, and he was pretty disturbed by this. Biologists like Shea at this point in the late 1960s kind of were beginning to understand better the tactics needed to ensure the safety of bears and humans. Other parks like Yellowstone had already begun implementing programs to decrease human-bear interaction, as we mentioned before, by closing the bleachers around dumps, starting to close down some of the open dumps, decrease littering, that kind of thing. He and Bert Gildert, who had responded to Kuhn's attack, both submitted reports to park leadership at least four days prior to the attacks occurring, asking them to start discouraging the activity of promoting bear watching with the garbage and the open garbage dumps that were open to bears. Four days later, Shea would awake after a lightning storm to the news of Helgeson's death near the Granite Park chalets. The next day, National Park Headquarters contacted him and ordered him to proceed to the Granite Park chalets and eliminate any bears seen coming to feed on garbage. Shea took his 300 Magnum rifle and with five other rangers perched on the balcony of the chalets overlooking the garbage dump. They ultimately eliminated three bears in the chalet's dumpster, including a mother bear who'd been coming to the dump with her cubs. When they examined the mother bear, she was found to have dried blood covering her claws and fur. The bear responsible for Helgeson's death could now be accounted for. But what about that bear that Gildard had eliminated near Trout Lake? Necropsy of the bear killed by Gildert at Trout Lake was quite revealing. First of all, the bear was very old, probably at least 20 years old, and was totally emaciated. It was just skin and bones. The sow, which should have weighed around 350 pounds, as we mentioned, barely cracked 200 pounds. Examining the bear's mouth, the rangers found shards of glass, which was really a clear indication that the starving bear had resorted to chomping on even indigestible garbage in a last-ditch attempt to get nutrition. Within the bear's stomach, they were able to find definitive confirmation that they had successfully eliminated the bear that had attacked Michelle Coons. They found locks of blonde human hair. It turned out that the Trout Lake bear was actually quite familiar to park staff. It had been observed all summer long hanging around some of the private camps near Lake McDonald, dumpster diving, approaching humans in a way that was unnatural. It just seemed like it was losing its fear of humans and it was becoming a little bit too aggressive and habituated. Just as the Granite Park Chalet bears had been accustomed to human refuge to their trips to the Granite Park Chalet dumpster, this bear had developed a habituation to humans and an association of the human scent with food. It became attracted to man, and this was an attraction that would prove fatal for both the bear and Michelle Coons. Why had the park been able to successfully exist since 1910 without any fatal bear attacks, only to have their luck run out, not once, but twice in the early morning hours of August 13, 1967? As we'd mentioned previously, the summer had been hot and dry. The typical yield of berry bushes, roots, and grasses, the majority of a bear's typical diet, had been super, super poor. And in addition, you've got these fires raging throughout the park, that's perhaps shifting bears out of their usual territories and moving some of the bears around and possibly kind of out of some of their backcountry haunts and closer to where they're going to have human interaction. It should probably come as no surprise then that the starving bears, pressured from their typical backcountry haunts into human-dense areas full of food, 
would eventually result in tragedy. The bear that attacked Michelle Coons at Trout Lake was clearly starving and had clearly come to associate the smell of humans with food. It was probably curiously checking out the group of campers near the lake, and the combination of hunger, curiosity, and being startled by Coons screaming out probably stimulated its attack. The bear that attacked Helgeson near the Granite Park chalets was also likely desperate for food, as it was trying to feed not just itself, but its two cubs during an extremely lean summer with few natural food sources. It should be noted also that Helgeson and Ducat were camped along the path from the chalets to the garbage dump. It's very likely that it seemed to the bear as if Helgeson and her partner were just another food source to be scavenged. In the years following the Night of the Grizzlies, National Park Service bear policy underwent a dramatic transformation. National Park rangers like Gildert returned to backcountry camping areas to clean up bag after bag of garbage. He reported that at the Trout Lake area, he and another ranger were able to bag up 17 full burlap sacks of garbage. The National Park Service also established the first leave-no-trace, pack-in, pack-out policy so that everyone venturing into the backcountry to hike or camp would be sure to bring out all the pieces of garbage that they'd brought in. Dave Shea, the biologist that responded to Helgeson's attack, went on to become the park's first bear management ranger and oversaw the implementation of sweeping reforms to the backcountry camping processes. Dispersed camping was replaced with dedicated backcountry campsites that incorporated designated fire pits that were separate from where people would sleep, as well as bear-proof storage equipment for food. The number of pages dedicated to bear policy and bear safety in the Glacier National Park Handbook went from three to 50, so it became much more comprehensive. Yellowstone National Park, the other national park in the lower 48 states with a large grizzly population, wasn't able to transition quite as smoothly. While they also moved to clean up backcountry campsites and put in bear-proof garbage cans, their large open pit dumps had so accustomed the bears to human food that when they shut them down, the bears didn't know where to turn for natural food sources. The bears, starving and confused, wound up having an increasing interaction with humans over the coming years, and Yellowstone would average around 50 bear encounters per year over the five years following the Night of the Grizzlies. And over that time, nearly 200 grizzly bears needed to be euthanized in Yellowstone National Park for displaying aggression towards humans. The population dwindled so much that the grizzly bear wound up needing to be protected by the Endangered Species Act. Over time, the Yellowstone bears did become accustomed to natural food again and developed a fear of humans, but it took years. These days, Yellowstone experiences roughly one human-bear interaction per year, and they've only needed to euthanize one or two bears per decade, rather than the 200 that needed to be euthanized in the 200 years after the Night of the Grizzlies. The most recent grizzly bear fatality inside any American national park was a man named Lance Crosby in Yellowstone National Park in 2015. He was killed in what seems to be possibly a predatory attack by a mother and her cubs on the Elephantback Loop Trail, which is near Lake Yellowstone. The most recent human-bear interaction in Yellowstone National Park was in June of 2020, when a woman who was hiking alone on the Fairy Falls Trail bumped into a mother grizzly with her cubs. It struck back in self-defense, but she was able to use bear spray 
and the bear fled into the woods, leaving her with only minor injuries. Glacier National Park has also had success with bear management. In addition to better garbage management techniques, rangers have sought to really like condition bears so that they associate interacting with humans with fear or painful stimuli. They use methods such as having loud barking dogs near human habitation, using loud noisemakers, and shooting bears that wander into human encampments with beanbag guns to like give them this kind of like stinging blow to incentivize bears to give human settlements a wide berth and to stick to their natural backcountry habitats. Dave Shea still teaches bear education courses to this day at Glacier. Um, while he's acknowledged in interviews that due to the increased visitation, Glacier National Park is not the same wilderness it used to be, the presence of grizzly bears, awe-inspiring creatures that they are, makes it feel wild in a way that other places devoid of grizzlies just cannot replicate. I thought that for today's knowledge nugget, it would be appropriate to talk about some of the things that you can do if you're in bear country, if you want to maximize your chances of staying safe and minimize your chances of having any sort of trouble with bears. You want some fries with that knowledge nugget? I've gotten these tips from the National Park Service, so they're very well vetted. These are great tips for staying safe. And the first thing that I will say before we launch into the tips is that if you're going to a national park or any other area that's known to have grizzly bears, number one tip is to read up on the area and know which areas bears are more active in and to talk to a ranger if possible about any recent bear activity and extra advice that they have about staying safe from bears in the area. Absolutely need to be up to date with the regulations, advice, and activity of the bears in the area that you're going to. Many parks will have seasonal trail closures because they'll know that bears will be in particular areas at particular times, or regulations, for example, some of the areas in Banff National Park in Canada will require that you have a minimum group size of people in order to scare away bears if you're hiking. So you just need to be familiar with the regulations and safety measures in place. On to the tips. As we've noted above, bears generally try to avoid humans. So if they know you're coming, they will try to steer clear before you, as a pathetic human with dulled senses that can't hear or smell anything, even know that they're there. Best advice is to walk at a moderate pace in a group, at least four to six is usually considered ideal, and speak to each other and talk as you go because talking at a moderate or loud volume goes a long way to alerting bears that you're there so that you don't sneak up on them, startle them, and incite an attack. You have to be especially mindful about moving slowly and making lots of noise in areas where bears have been seen recently, if there's an area where there's really tight vegetation where the bear wouldn't be able to see you very well, or if you're near a known bear food source like a berry bush. If you do come across a bear, and ideally you won't if you're following the advice above, but if you do come across a bear, the National Park Service gives the following advice. One, you should identify yourself by speaking loudly in a calm voice so that the bear knows that you're a human. Remember, they generally just do not want to have anything to do with humans and don't necessarily view you as a threat or food. So you want it to know that you are a human being. Number two, stay calm. Bears do not want to attack you. And if you, they realize that you're a human and not a threat to them, they will just move on and leave you alone. If you see a bear doing things like woofing, 
yawning, growling, if you see it pin its ears back, it's a sign that that bear is viewing you as a threat and it's acting defensively. In those cases, if you do anything threatening, that could be the trigger that makes the bear attack. So definitely avoid screaming, moving suddenly in any sort of way that the bear would think that you are a threat to it. You want to just really concentrate on being slow, deliberate, and non-threatening at that point. Three, remember if you have small children or if you're somewhere where maybe you're hiking with like a small pet, you should pick it up and try your best to like keep it as quiet as possible. Little children will tend to scream, little dogs will tend to bark, so try to make sure that they stay as quiet as you possibly can and have them under your control so that you don't leave them behind and you're not like enticed to like go back and try to save it from the bear or something like that. Just pick it up, have it under your control. If you're in a group, which hopefully you are if you're following the advice above, the size of the group can be intimidating enough to the bear in a good way that it can encourage it to hightail it out of there. So if you're in a group of four to six, spread out a little bit and raise your arms in the air and try to kind of move as slowly as you can to higher ground so that you'll appear larger and the bear will just be not interested in having anything to do with you. Remember, they like to hunt the weakest, most isolated animals of a herd. So if you have enough people where it's kind of like you're a herd of animals, if you all seem strong and united and intimidating, it's not going to want to have anything to do with you. Next tip is trying to feed the bear as a distraction will not work. So that's something you might be inclined to think like pull some snacks out of your bag to like bait the bear into eating the snacks and then sneak away. That's generally not going to work. It's just going to habituate that bear to human food and it's going to associate you and other humans with food if you do that. So just don't do it. It's not going to work. This includes dropping your pack. The bear will just be further intrigued about looking into you as a food source and you also are going to lose the protection that your backpack would give your back in the event that the bear does attack you. You know, you want to have on anything that could protect you at all. If the bear is just standing there looking at you and it's stationary, which is often going to be the case in these interactions, you should back away and kind of diagonally, kind of sideways back away slowly while continuing to face the bear. You want to keep an eye on that bear at all times to know what it's doing. If it begins to follow you, you should stop. If you try to run, you are not going to run away from that bear. Bears can run four times faster than you can. They can run as fast as a racehorse. And there is no way that you could possibly outrun that bear anyway. So running is just going to be like running from a dog. If you run from a dog, you trigger its predatory reflex. Same thing's going to happen to the bear. It's going to be real intrigued in going after you if it knows you're running away. Because it's going to start thinking, man, I'm a predator. This could be a possible source of prey. And man, they run slow because they're a human. So I'm going to get them. So running is not going to do you any good. Likewise, climbing a tree, probably not going to do you much good. Grizzly bears don't climb quite as well as black bears do. In fact, it's very common to see black bears just up in trees if you're out hiking. Grizzly bears, not as much of climbers, but they can still climb just fine. And if you're up in the tree, you're stuck. It's going to be hard to use bear spray. It's going to be hard to protect yourself. You're just going to be totally stuck up there. So don't climb a tree. Once you've backed away, backed away sideways, leave the area and separate yourself from the bear by at least 100 yards. Once you're at least 100 yards away, if it looks like it's stationary or wandering away from you, most people would recommend just 
calling it a day at that point and just head back to the trailhead and pick a different trail to hike on that day. Uh, if the bear is between you and your exit point, ideally you would take a detour on a go back and detour around on a different trail that would take you away from the bear. If that's just not an option, if that's just there's not anything like that that you can do, the detour that you take around the bear should give it a very wide berth. Over 100 yards is ideal, as far as you can. And again, ideally on a different trail if you can. Never, ever, ever get between a mother bear and her cubs. If you find yourself in this situation, back out as calmly as you can away from both of them. That's probably the most dangerous bear situation that you can get in. So never, ever, ever approach a mother with cubs and never get between a mother and her cubs. That's just good advice for any animal. I feel like moose is the same way. Really just don't mess with mama. That's what you got to know. In addition to just avoiding bears using the tips above and trying to safely exit a bear encounter like we just talked about, the only other great thing that you can do to keep yourself safe is to carry bear spray. That's probably the best, most effective way to fight back against a bear. Certainly more effective than using your hands and fists. It's going to be more effective than playing dead. It's even probably more effective than carrying a gun. So I encourage anyone going into bear country, in addition to following all the tips from the Park Service above, to carry bear spray and know how to use it and if possible practice using it. What are we talking about with bear spray? It should be clear that the most important aspect of bear safety is avoidance. Bear spray is not a get out of jail free card and shouldn't be used to just go tromping into like aggressive bear areas. Don't do that. Bear spray is made from capsicum which it's it's similar to the mace that people will carry as defense against humans but it's more concentrated and it should indicate on the can that it is EPA approved and designed and certified specifically for use against bears. Okay, so you should not be using jogging mace or like capsicum joint spray or something like that. It should be legit bear spray. There are restrictions about bringing it on planes. So if you're flying to an area with bears, you might not be able to take it with you on the plane. You should check with your airline. But you may need to buy it when you arrive. Or another option is that a lot of parks will also rent it. So I definitely recommend looking into bear spray availability, either for purchase or rental, ahead of going anywhere with bears. Every single person in your party should be carrying it because you never know who's going to have the best access to it or who the bear is going to be closest to or if you're going to get separated at all. So everyone should carry it, period. It should be carried in a holster at hip level or somewhere else where it's like really easily accessible. If it's in your pack, you are going to be in big trouble if you run into a bear because you're not going to be able to dig that out and handle it calmly while you're having this bear encounter. Too much adrenaline. Also know that it should only be used against bears displaying attacking or aggressive behavior. You shouldn't be trying to spray the bear that's maybe like standing 30 yards from you completely still who might move away, right? You got to give that bear a chance to get out of there, okay? So don't go spraying it at bears that aren't displaying any sort of aggressive behavior to you. Also, and this should go without saying, but some people, mm, some people are real dumb. It is not a bear repellent, so you don't spray it on yourself to keep the bears away. It's only a deterrent to be used against bears that are actively about to attack you. Know that it's not 100% effective, but 98% of people who've had to deploy bear spray, they've studied this, 98% of people who have to use it escape uninjured, and most of the people 
that do get injuries, they wind up being just minor injuries compared to, say, being mauled to death or needing to wind up in the hospital or intensive care unit or something. Also be reassured that bear spray is non-lethal to the bear, and in addition to saving your life, it negatively conditions the bear to associate being near humans with an unpleasant experience so that it can go on to live the rest of its life relatively safely. So it's a win for you, and it's a win for the bear. It definitely beats getting mauled to death or paying a huge hospital bill. When you purchase or rent the bear spray, make sure you review the instructions on the canister and know how to use it before you head out on any sort of hike or anything like that. Because in the moment, you're not going to be able to read those instructions if you need to use it. So know them backwards and forwards. And if possible, either if they have a demo can there or if you're able to buy a bear spray like an inert can as a trainer, you can purchase those. It's good to practice with the particular brand of bear spray that you are getting because then you can kind of get a sense for how far out the cloud of mace it's going to shoot, how the wind is going to affect it, all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's really good to practice with it if you can. For using the bear spray, follow the instructions on the canister. Most bear sprays generally advise spraying the spray in a cloud in front of the bear's path, like where the bear is moving, when it's roughly 10 to 20 yards away. And the idea is that you want to make the bear pass through the cloud of spray as it's charging you in order to deter it. So you want to spray it kind of just in front of the bear so that it's getting in the bear's face as it walks through the cloud. And you want to continue spraying the bear until it changes direction. As the bear gets closer, if it's still charging, they recommend continuing until the last minute, spraying it and spray it directly into the bear's face if you have to, and generally that's going to deter it. Once the bear is deterred, and they almost always are, like we said, the individual who used the spray should get out of there as quickly as possible. Do not hang around. Avoid touching your eyes until you've had a chance to wash your hands and report your interaction to some sort of ranger station, if at all possible. If you're able to follow these tips and tricks, you are going to be able to increase the chances that you and your family are going to have a safe time in bear country. And I hope that everyone out there gets the chance to view one of these magnificent creatures from a real safe distance, from a car building, something like that, over 100 yards away, just so that you can appreciate this awesome, awesome wild creature that's out there. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I want to encourage anyone out there who liked what they heard, wants to hear more from us, to go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean. You can also visit our website at nerdroamer.com to check out bonus content for a lot of the episodes if you check the blog posts. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on Twitter and Instagram to get extra photos pertinent to episodes, news about Nerd Roamer, alerts on new episodes, and that kind of thing. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep roaming, nerds.